taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. Taking time to rest, time to refresh, no stress. To the city point, giving him your best, nothing like the rest, passing every test. You know he's the one, yeah. I have the honor and privilege of introducing our guest speaker for today. Uh, in thinking about Mother's Day, I wanted to ensure that we did something different this year because I think that there is a myth of uh, overwork that is pervasive amongst women. And I think that it is not simply a secular challenge. I think it's also a challenge with regard to our religion, with our theology, with the way that we view God. And so I wanted this year to not simply be a year where we would celebrate mothers and talk about all the hard work they do and then tell them that they should take a break today, give them gift certificates to spas, and then tell them to carry on with business as usual afterward. Um, I wanted today to be a time when we interrogate what we have come to, um, to think of as um, uh, gender identity roles. And so I, I thought about Andrea and I thought about the fact that she wears many hats and among those hats is the hat of motherhood. And she has been so helpful to me as a friend, um, as a colleague, also as a mentor, uh, to think about setting boundaries professionally and personally. And so I thought it would be good for her to uh, preach a word that would speak exactly to that. And I thought that it could be very liberating for us today. Amen. So I'm going to read to you her bio. So Andrea Clark Horton is a gifted teacher, speaker, and counselor who is passionate about the holistic well-being of God's people, especially those in marginalized communities. Andrea currently serves as staff chaplain for women's health at Northwestern Memorial Hospital, where she ministers to families experiencing infant and baby loss and illness, and to women experiencing chronic or life-altering illnesses. Her work with women in this setting has introduced Andrea to, to a passion for researching and understanding what role narrative and storytelling play in black women's overall health and how it may contribute to treatment for emotional distress and anxiety related to illnesses. Prior to her work as a chaplain, Andrea worked as the director of an outreach program to homeless and otherwise disconnected young adults in the Rogers Park and Edgewater areas of Chicago and in the north, northern suburbs of Evanston. Andrea spent the first decade of her postgraduate career as an attorney for the Chicago Board of Education. She is a past recipient of the National Bar Association's Nation's Best Advocates 40 Under 40 Award. Andrea is currently a PhD student in religion and psychology at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and is training to become a licensed clinical professional counselor. Andrea received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Oberlin, Oberlin College, a Juris Doctor from Loyola University Chicago, and a Master of Divinity from Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary at Northwestern University. She is the mother of an amazing eight-year-old son, Grant Clark Horton. Her first book, Her Story, I'm going to hold you to this, Volume 1, She is Strong, will be released in 2022. Why don't you guys give a big City Point sign of welcome to Reverend Andrea Clark Horton. 
All right, I'm gonna need your help, hold on. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning, City Point. It is my honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, can we please just, can we celebrate your pastor and your beautiful first lady, lady the Reverend, I'm calling him doctor because he's not done. He's not done. Reverend Doctor uh, Demetrius Davis and Carla Davis, thank you so much for your hospitality. You all have been wonderful. I almost cried watching those babies talk about how much they love their, their mommies this morning and why, just to give birth. Amen. My son don't understand that part yet. Amen. It's good to see some wonderful faces. Hi, Elaine. Hi. Wonderful, familiar faces. Your keyboard player used to play at my church. I bring you greetings from New Faith Baptist Church International in Madison, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Chernell Felder is my senior pastor. I want to say hi to my mama. I know she's watching online. I hope you're relaxing today. And my sister. And my little boy is playing baseball this morning. So I want him to do what makes him happy because he be in here whining. So... Let them be out there pitching. Amen? So our scripture this morning, we're going to go to the first book of Esther. Esther, book one, uh, chapter, book one, chapter one, <laughs> verses uh, 10 through 12 is what I'm going to read for you, where we're going to concentrate today. And it reads, on the seventh day, the king was merry with wine. He commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bixa, Abgatha, Sethar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who attended him, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing the royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the officials her beauty, for she was fair to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, conveyed by the eunuchs. At this, the king was enraged and his anger burned within him. Amen. So for the past several years, there's been this proliferation of hashtags on social media, including the word goals at the end. The sentiment that these hashtag, what, whatever they are, goals, gets after is that the images depict an aspirational representation of some aspect of life, right? So there's hashtag squad goals, well, which is usually applied to images depicting the kind of collective accomplishments a friend group may aspire to. There's hashtag relationship goals, like I could look at your wonderful pastor and the love between him and his beautiful wife and this power couple that they are, and little old single me would say they are hashtag relationship goals. Some of us follow billionaires like Oprah and Rihanna and, and comment on their uh, posts with hashtag bankroll goals. The point is, we all have goals. We all aspire to things, and we have people who we admire and who push us to achieve those things that we may set for ourselves as goals. So what better day than Mother's Day to be talking about goals? Nobody knows how to inspire us, how to model love for us, how to support us, how to encourage us to achieve than mothers. 
uh, mothers, mamas, big mamas, god mamas, play mamas. Uh, we're talking about the aunties, even big sisters, and church mamas, and spiritual mamas, and other mamas. I'm even talking about my good girlfriends, my, my sisters in the spirit, my cousin sisters, my mentors. We're pulling all of y'all in here today to honor the women in our lives because we know that there's more than just our mamas who help to shape us. We know that not every woman who mothers, who nurtures, who shapes us has given birth to us. We know that not every woman who has inspired us, who we've looked up to, who, who got us together when we got beside ourselves or who held us together when we felt like we were falling apart, not all of those women, women were mothers, but they still mothered us. If we think of the women who've shaped us, it would be easy for us to write hashtag mom goals under thousands of posts on our social media accounts. If, if we just thought about the women who we looked up to as heroes, from, from our own mother to Jesus's mother to Claire Huxtable, we'd have a list that we could write down, hashtag mom goals. Uh, but I think God is asking us to broaden our understanding of moms, of mothering and womanhood this morning. I think this is why God led me to Vashti this morning. Vashti is going to help us see why God wants us to reconsider doing too much, being valued too little, and not resting enough as praiseworthy hallmarks of womanhood and motherhood. Vashti chose to be a mom in a different way. She chose meaning over movement, M-O-M, meaning over movement. So let's delve into her story and see why Queen Vashti is hashtag mom goals. Let's back up a little bit. I read you the emphasis part of the text, but I want to talk about where we are. This is the first chapter of the book of Esther. and We're in the third year of the reign of King Xerxes. Right? He was an extravagant king. Uh, we meet him right at the tail end of a festival that he's been hosting in his palace for six months. A 180-day party, because Xerxes likes to party. He likes to show off. He, he is ostentatious. He's over the top. He didn't even want the party to stop after 180 days, and so he said, you know what, let's keep this thing going for another week. He invited the princes of the kingdom and other top leaders to stick around and party with him and his closest advisors. They drank from gold goblets. They, they sat on couches made of silver. It was like a really bad 90s rap video that would not end. We also find out in verse 9 that Vashti is entertaining the women of the kingdom, those princesses, the wives of the leaders in a separate part of the kingdom. She has her own banquet going with them. There was nothing inherently strange about this. Men and women often entertain separately. And the queen, as the first lady of the kingdom, was responsible for hosting the women and overseeing the affairs of the house. She was responsible to make sure that the king had what he needed from his servants and everyone to make this party keep going. 
but she also held a place of honor and respect amongst the people in the kingdom, even though she was still subject to the will of the king. Xerxes knew this, but he's a wild boy. So by the time we get to verse 10, he's merry with wine. That means he was drunk. <laughs> he's been kicking it hard, and, and that wine, that Patron, that Henny, that Ciroc, that it was flowing. He's feeling himself. So he starts bragging to all the men, uh, all these men who were there but subject to his authority. They're like his employees, right? He's bragging to them about he's got the baddest chick in the game wearing his crown. And he tells his attendants, he's like, y'all, go get my wife. Tell her I said, come here. Tell her so I can show her off in the crown. So these eunuchs, they were at the party with him, but part of their responsibility was to oversee the harem. You know, the, the harem is the group of the side chicks that the king kept around for his pleasure and, and sometimes for that of his company. The queen was not part of the harem, but she was still a woman and she was still his wife. So if they came saying, your husband wants you, it was the same as if he had come and, say, and said, come here. She was supposed to go. The crazy thing about this request, though, was not only had the king summoned her while she was already in the middle of carrying out her business, she was doing what she was supposed to be doing, but it was the specificity of this request. Come wearing your crown. She knew, just like the eunuchs knew, just like the kings knew, that the real request was for her to come wearing only her crown nothing else. To be ogled and shown off to the men who work for, who report to, who are subject to her husband. Her only response to that was to refuse. Here, here's the first mom goal Vashti exemplifies for us this morning. You cannot, nor are you required, to do it all. Vashti is the queen She's in the middle of entertaining the princesses and wives of the leaders of the kingdom. She's now entering the seventh month of this festival that her husband will not shut down. She already oversees the house. Some historians also tell us that she's a mother. She's in charge of the servants. She is a wife, and she is standing before a whole group of people when her drunk husband sends his boys to say, I want to see my wife, but tell her to come with just her crown so I can show her off to my boys. The king is abusing his authority. The king is contravening custom. She is the queen. She is the first woman of the kingdom. Her beauty could be admired from afar, but that intimate, up-close gaze belonged only to her husband. But Vashti knew some things, though. Chief among them was her value. She was the queen. It was a position worthy of honor and, and the covering and protection of the king. He understood her position, and, and she understood her position, and she valued what that meant. She was doing everything she was supposed to do as the queen and as the, the husband and the wife of the king. 
Uh, there was no need for her to debase herself by saying yes to this request. He essentially removed the cover of protection from her. The Center for Community Organizations has published a guidebook for understanding systemic racism in the workplace. It's called White Supremacy Culture in Organizations. This guide explains that white supremacy undergirds the culture of workplaces in just about every institution and organization in this country. There are five hallmarks of white supremacist organizational culture. The first is perfectionism. The second is right to comfort. The third is individualism. The fourth is progress, meaning acquiring and doing more. And the fifth is concentration of power among a few. Uh, see, Xerxes in this text is operating in the same spirit that allows white supremacy to dominate our work culture. Uh, doing more than what's necessary. Uh, having your value to the team or to any organization you belong to being determined by how high you jump when they tell you to move. Uh, putting in long hours is value. Not taking your vacation time is value. Taking on more projects than is necessary is value. But let me and Vashti help you this morning. Your worth is not determined by how often you say yes. Your worth is not determined by how much you take on. Your worth is not determined by how many zeros are in your salary. Vashti knew that saying yes to this request would be ignoring the value and honor of her office. Why was that song, You Know My Name and My Spirit, all week when she got up to sing that song? It's because when we know that God knows our name, it's a statement of I understand my value. Amen. She knew that if she went along with this request, what she would be doing would be giving in to the sins of vanity and excess. Let me suggest to you this morning that overloading your schedule Taking on more than what you can handle. Scheduling every part of your day down to the minute in an attempt to please other folks or to have somebody recognize your value is really giving in to the sin of white supremacy. Ain't nobody got time for that. And let me tell you something. People are watching you. Namely, your children. You don't want to set the example for them that it's okay and it's expected that you're going to burn yourself out just to acquire more stuff and to have somebody call your name, but in the meantime, ignore your value. <clears throat> That's why mom goal two is so important. Our second mom goal is we're going to learn to use no as a complete sentence. Vashti's response to this request was just that, no. We don't see her justifying her answer. Uh, we don't see her arguing with the eunuchs. We don't see her explaining herself or, or all the other stuff she has on her plate. She just said no. No is a legitimate response, and sometimes it is the right answer to the question. 
when your peace of mind and your dignity is at stake, no is the right answer. When you're already juggling too much and don't have time to add one more thing, no is the right answer. No is a weapon and a self-care strategy. It will save your sanity even when it makes other people upset. No is necessary when you're already tired. One of the hardest things I have to do sometimes is to tell my eight-year-old son, Grant, no. It isn't hard when he wants something that I can't get for him. It's not hard when he wants something. He wants, he wants a milkshake at midnight. Because I can't go to sleep. I need something. Maybe a, milk, maybe a milkshake. No. Right? That's not when no is hard. But when no is hard when I have to talk to my children is when I'm saying it because I'm tired and I just don't want to right now. He's an only child. His dad and I co-parent, but we're divorced. So when he comes to be with me, it's just the two of us, which means I am his playmate. And he has a lot of energy. <laughs> At the end of a long day of work, I've been working all day, I picked him up, I come home, I cook dinner, I fix dinner, I'm cleaning up the kitchen, and then he inevitably wants to play some game that involves me running around the house and chasing him or chasing a ball or something. I never used to refuse that request. And I realized that I wasn't refusing that request because I felt guilty. I felt guilty, I felt guilty about the divorce. I felt guilty because I'm a mom and I just figured like this is what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, I felt guilty because I chose not to have another child. So, you know, you have to play with him. My mama never played with me. <laughs> but I had to play with him. Then I remembered that God does not deal in guilt. Guilt is of the enemy. Then I remembered that what I wanted most for my child is to feel loved. But I wanted to model for him what self-love really looks like. I can't love you if I don't love myself. The word tells us that we are supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. We get it twisted and try to love other people at the sacrifice of ourselves. So now when he asked me, Mommy, can you play with me? And I'm tired. I will say, Grant, no. But why? I need to rest because I'm tired. That's why. Is he disappointed? Yes, he is. Momentarily. Because ultimately, he knows that I'm not going to be any fun to play with if I'm tired. Ultimately, he knows that if I don't, I don't say no all the time. I'm going to play with you at some point, but this time I need to rest. Yeah, we are strong, but sometimes the way to operate in that strength is to preserve yourself by saying no. That whole strong black woman, strong woman trope is another tool of white supremacy designed to deny the humanity of black women so that the capitalist structure can thrive off of our labor. It is the thought that, as Zora Neale Hurston said, we are the mules of the world. 
We'll work until our backs break because we aren't human. Uh, we don't need to rest. We're impervious to pain. It comes from a long history when we're forced into labor and we could not say no. But we have the option now. I know the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6 and 9 to grow not weary and well-doing because you'll reap a harvest in due season if you don't give up. But let me tell you something. Like I told my Jack and Jill sisters a couple of weeks ago, every good work is not your work to do. We have to partner with God and ask God, is this part of the assignment you have for me right now? Sister saying about, I need, I need you, I need to have my time with you. Part of that is so you can ask God, what am I supposed to pick up and what am I supposed to put down? Because we get tired because we pick up stuff that God has been given to us. And so we're walking around carrying all this stuff because it's good stuff to do, but it ain't our stuff and we aren't the only person that can do it. <coughs> so we don't have God's grace to carry that stuff. <coughs> Your no has power. Your no is a holy response. It's a complete sentence. It's a full answer. And you have to say no so you can get to mom goal number three. The third mom goal Vashti shows us is how to receive your crown of rest. So she refuses. The king gets mad. He's embarrassed, really, is what happened. And so he starts asking his boys, how do I handle this situation? What's the law say about this? There's no law. So their immediate concern for him is that not even for him, it's for themselves. Oh, she done said no to the king in front of all these women. These women gonna start acting up. They gonna think that they can say no when we say something. We got to do something about this. <coughs> so ultimately, thank you. So ultimately what he did was to pass a law or pass a decree that removed Vashti from her queendom. He took her crown. She was likely still around in part of the harem now. She just wasn't the main chick anymore. We don't hear any more about her. We don't hear any more about her situation because then Esther is chosen to be queen and then we know her story takes center stage from there. But guess what? I'm gonna suggest to you that that's fine. I'm going to suggest to you that Vashtar was okay with that. She took off the queen's crown and she got her crown of rest. She don't have to run to him and entertain everybody no more. She don't have to oversee the house and be the mother and be the wife anymore. She can receive her rest. <clears throat> Trisha Hersey is the founder and self-proclaimed Nap Bishop of the Nap Ministry in Atlanta. Y'all know. And she knows how liberating rest can be. In 2016, she founded the NAP ministry as a means of creating a framework for black women to reclaim themselves. 
She says, I took to rest and to naps and slowing down as a way to save my life, to resist the systems telling me to do more, and most importantly, as a remembrance to my ancestors who had their dream space stolen from them. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to tell y'all something about spiritual warfare, and I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. How many of y'all believe in that? But getting to, getting to this moment this morning <laughs> was a struggle. We had, we had the sermon came up, and then the sermon disappeared, and I didn't know where it was. Now, I'm, my throat is dry, but we're going to get through this. So Trisha Hersey says, uh, uh, this, this is about more than naps for her. She recognizes that rest is holy. Rest is a means of resistance. She recognizes, as Sister Audrey Lord once said, that caring for ourselves is a means of self-preservation, and that makes it an act of political warfare. Because when systems are designed to take you out, Ensuring that you're rested so that you're around to fight and, and push for the betterment and move your people from just surviving to thriving, from raising little warriors, yeah, that's an act of political warfare. So don't let overwork and burnout take you out. Resist with rest. <clears throat> See, you like Vashti may have to give up some things. You may have to give up some positions. You may have to give up some accolades, some opportunities, some titles, but rest. You may disappoint your bosses. You may disappoint your sorors. You may disappoint your friends. You may disappoint your spouse, but rest. You are worth fighting for. So use the weapon of rest to fight. There is a season for everything. <clears throat> but even farmers know. In order for the ground to produce, they have to give the ground a season to rest. So if the ground can rest, so can you. <clears throat> Meaning over movement means partnering with God to get clarity on what you're supposed to be doing in this moment, in this season, to further God's purposes for you. Movement says, I can do it all. Meaning says, no, I can't, and that's okay. Uh, movement says, uh, when they say jump, I say how high. Meaning says, when they say jump, I roll my eyes and say boy, bye. <laughs> movement says, I need them to affirm me. I need that promotion. I need my boss to give me the thumbs up. I need that position. Uh, meaning says, Girl, you need a nap and a glass of wine. <laughs> Be okay with not being able to do it all. Use no as a complete sentence and then receive your crown of rest. We are leaving here today being mom goals for ourselves. Moms, we're choosing today. We are choosing meaning over movement. Receive your crown of rest. Amen. Amen.
Yeah.